everyone, welcome to Overlake Christian Church. We are so excited that you're here today. In a few minutes, we will join together in worship and then hear a message from one of our pastors on our current teaching series. All together, we'll be here for just over an hour. One of our sayings around here is that connection is everything. We would love for you to connect with those around you here in the service and out in the hallway after the service today. Throughout the year, we'll be promoting events that enable you to connect with your parish and connect in groups, as well as connecting to serve in your community. your first time with us today, welcome. We're so glad you're here. If you have any questions or need any information, then please swing by one of our info desks in the main hallway after the service. There you'll find friendly people and a delicious gift waiting for you. Here at Overlake, there are many opportunities to serve. If you need more information about any of the various ministries, from Kidtown Children's Ministries to behind the scenes on a Sunday morning, then note that on the connection card in your handout, and we'll make sure to get you all the info you need. Thanks so much for being here today. We believe church isn't just a building to gather in on a Sunday, but that it is a family where we can come together, both here in our building and out in the community. We hope you have a great time at service this morning. Good morning, Overlake. My name is Jessica. I'm the worship pastor here. Happy Mother's Day. Let's stand and worship the Lord together.
to surrender every piece. We want to make this personal. We want to mean the words that we're singing. We want to yield ourselves to your guidance.
things are closed away. If your love has stayed the same, your constant grace remains the cornerstone. Oh, yeah. 
I just, I love singing that song with you, and Overleg, it's just wonderful to be together and to make much of Jesus together, and I want to say happy Mother's Day, so as you're getting your seat right now, why don't you give somebody a high five and say, hey, happy Mother's Day to you. Can you do that? Let's go ahead and cheer each other on as moms. That's right. And I do hope, friends, as you're grabbing a seat, as you're grabbing your notes out of your handout, I do hope that you've already had a, a, a wonderful Mother's Day, maybe made that phone call, maybe for you it's breakfast in bed or a homemade card or a little, uh, a necklace made of macaroni, maybe that was your Mother's Day, or maybe a necklace that's a little nicer, opens up from a box, I don't know, but... I, I was thinking, I, I want to just, it's not going to be a message about Mother's Day, but I do want to just start with the recognition that um, several years ago, I was taking my kids, I had, I had young kids at the time, so I was taking my daughter and my son uh, on a rainy day, I took them to Bell Square to play on the little toys they have uh, at different places in Bell Square. I don't even know if they still have them, but at the time, they had like a kind of a tugboat. It was like a soft tugboat and carpeted area, and so I went there as play zone, so I would let my kids run and play, and while they were playing, I noticed that there was this one toddler, and he had a routine. He would climb to the top of the tugboat and then fall off, and his mom would catch him. And she'd put him on the ground, and then he'd promptly run around, climb up, and fall off again. And so she'd catch him again and put him down, and he'd do it again. And they did this again and again and again. And I don't know how many times they did it. I lost count, and, and, uh, and there was a, a time when we ran out of time, so I grabbed my kids, and I started to leave. But as we left, I looked over my shoulder, and I saw the kid fall off the tugboat again, and the mom catch him and put him down. And, and uh, I just thought to myself as I walked away, no one is ever going to write her a thank you card that says, Mom, thank you for catching me every time I fell off the top of a tugboat. 
And I just want you to understand for all of you wonderful mommies out there that, that are, uh, you know, you, you, you are just pouring yourself out for your family. You're pouring yourself out for your kids. And almost everything that you do is not even acknowledged, let alone thanked or expressed gratitude over. And so I just want to say to you very, very, very clearly, Jesus sees it all. He sees it all, that nothing that you do is in vain. And I, I just want you to hear me say publicly, thank you for catching your crazy kiddo every time they fell off the top of a tugboat, okay? Yeah, God bless you. God bless all your efforts for your family. And I do, I have a, I have a tender heart for those of you who for whatever reason or another, today is a difficult day for you. And I just wanna say I appreciate you as well. So God bless you. Thank you for being here. Here's what I'd love to do. We're, we're going to jump into a new series today. It's in the, we're going to go through the book of 1 John. It's in your Bible, so if you have your Bible, you can open it up. It's right near the end. The end would be Revelation. It's just before there. So open up 1 John. Uh, if you don't have your Bible or you want to just follow along on the notes, that's fine too. But here's what you need to know as we jump into this book. It, uh, it's written by the disciple named John. And I absolutely love him. Now, he, his name, John, means God is gracious, and he's exactly that. He's so incredibly gracious and tender and compassionate. At the time of the writing of this letter and the, the ones to follow, he's an older man when he's writing these things. You might remember that he was a younger man when he was a disciple of Jesus. Most scholars think that he might have even been in his teen years as he followed Jesus around for the three-year ministry, and he had seen, of course, uh, incredible miracles. He had heard incredible teachings. He had seen the resurrection. He'd seen the birth of the young church and then its persecution, its growth, but also martyrdom. He'd seen setbacks. He'd seen, you know, people walking away from Jesus. He'd seen it all by the end of his long life and ministry. And his heart had been formed by Jesus and then broken by heartache. And again and again and again, this had happened in his life. Like that Japanese art of kintsugi, which you might no, that's, that's where pottery is broken and then reformed with gold. And John had been broken and reformed so many times by the master craftsman by this point in his life that he was probably more gold than clay. And I can just hear his tender voice throughout his letter. I can just see his face of wrinkled compassion. In his eyes, this mix of deep grief and his sparkling laughter of an even deeper joy. And I just want you to know that's who I pray God is molding me into over the years of my life and ministry. It's just, a, I, I just think John's an amazing, an amazing follower. And he wrote this letter that we have called 1 John. It, it was a letter. And he wrote it after he wrote the Gospel of John. So the Gospel of John, it's in your Bible, just called John. It's the fourth book in the New Testament. It's about the life and teachings and uh, crucifixion, resurrection of Jesus. And this is a letter that he's writing after that Gospel. But what you'll notice as you go through is how similar the heart themes are, how similar the poetic language is between the gospel and the letter. And, and then the last thing you need to know about this letter is it wasn't addressed specifically to one church or one region. A little bit differently than, say, Paul, when he writes a letter to the uh, Romans, the church in Rome, that becomes the book in our Bible called Romans. So it's, it's specifically written to a church, to a setting. 
This was more of what's called a general letter. It was written to be circulated all around that first century region where Christianity was exploding. And, and so I think that's enough for us to go on. Let's jump in. I'm going to give you the fill-in first because this is where John starts. So we're going to jump right in. The first fill-in is there is life with Jesus. There's life with Jesus. And so that's where John starts. We're in 1 John chapter 1, verse 1. He writes, we proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning, whom we have heard and seen. We saw him with our own eyes and touched him with our own hands. He is the word of life. You might want to circle that phrase. He's the word of life. And for those of you who are familiar with the gospel, you know that the gospel of John st starts really similarly with the same kind of language. You might remember he starts his, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And in, in uh, the gospel of John, chapter one, verse four, he says, the word gave life to everything that was created and his life brought light to everyone. So there's that connection that the word brings life. And then in his letter, he just identifies Jesus as the word of life. And then John jumps immediately to this personal reality. And so I want you to kind of note in these first few verses how many times he does this. But he says, we heard him and seen him and touched him with our own eyes and our own ears and our own hands, okay? So you might just wanna make a note or circle, put a little star by how many times he says this. So let's go in verse two. This one who is life itself was revealed to who? To us, okay, so there's another one. And we have seen him, oh, there's one more. And now we testify and proclaim to you that he is the one who is eternal life. Now, that's interesting because he's also claiming that all life biologically flows from Jesus, the source of life. But now he's identifying this other characteristic. He is eternal life himself. He was with the Father, and then he was revealed to who? To us. Okay, so here we are. That's another one. So Jesus is life itself. He's making that. He was with the Father. Now he's revealed to us. And this is like the fourth or fifth time in just two verses that he's identifying, look, we were there. The stuff that I'm telling you, this is not hearsay. This is firsthand eyewitness account. And I want you to think why he might be doing this. You see, the, the reason he's doing this, this is an appeal to authority, as he's beginning this letter to be circulated to all of the churches in that first century region, he wants to make sure that everybody knows, you know, who is this that's writing this? Do we even care what this person has to say? And then, oh, oh that's John. Oh, oh, you mean disciple John. Oh, you mean eyewitness John. John who was with Jesus for the entire ministry. John who was there at the foot of the cross where Jesus said, behold your mother and kind of adopted him into the family at that point. Oh, you mean John, that John. Oh, I, I want to know what he has to say. Are you with me? So it's this appeal to authority that John starts with. He goes on. He's not done yet. He says, we proclaim to you what we heard ourselves. Oh, who heard it? Oh, we ourselves heard it. What we... We ourselves have actually seen and heard, so you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We're writing these things so that you may fully share our joy. So here we have, again, maybe this is the fifth or sixth time that, Jesus, or that John says, we have this authority from Jesus himself. This is what our 
ears have heard. This is what our eyes have seen. We saw him crucified and resurrection, uh, resurrected. We heard him preach the Sermon on the Mount. We heard him say, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they do. We, we heard him say to Peter, Peter, feed my sheep after the resurrection. So why would you pay attention to what John has to say? John says, because we have fellowship with the Father and with the Son. And we want you to have fellowship with the Father and with the Son and with us. And, and then he goes on. He says, the purpose for me writing this letter it has something to do with joy. Look at that last phrase. We're writing these things so that, and there's something about joy. And in some of your Bibles, it might say, so that your joy may be full. And in some of your translations, it might say, so that our joy may be full. And this is one of those phrases where the Greek and the English are a little bit dicey. So here's really what John's trying to say. So that your joy and our joy might be full and shared together. It's one of those both ands kind of a thing. So it's all about joy and it all comes straight from Jesus and all that's by way of introduction. Now let's jump in to the next truth that John wants to cover. If you're filling in the blanks, it's this, that light can be found in Jesus. Light can be found in Jesus. So not only source of life, but source of light. And then in verse five, he writes, this is the message we heard from Jesus and now declare to you. God is light and there's no darkness in him at all. So we're lying if we say we have fellowship with God, but go on living in spiritual darkness. We're not practicing the truth. But if we're living in the light as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So, so God is light, and there's no darkness in him at all, and again, this actually, he's drawn again from the gospel of John, chapter three, verse 19, where he talks about how God's light has come into the world, right? And that's another reference to Jesus. And he's saying, we're lying if we say we have fellowship with God, but we continue to live in spiritual darkness. And he wants us to practice the truth. We don't wanna live in a lie. We wanna practice the truth. So the challenge for us in this passage is we need to understand what does it mean to live in spiritual darkness? That's, we, we've got to understand, what does that phrase mean as John writes it? And fortunately, he gives us in the context of this passage, he tells us the answer. But first, I want to give you a clue from verse 7 that we just read. He says, if we're living in the light as God is in the light, and his love light shines all over us, then we're able to have this real, authentic, loving relationship with one another. And then he says, and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us of all sin. Right Now that's a clue right there. That's a clue. And the clue is that walking in darkness doesn't mean merely sinning. Because if it did, then walking in the light wouldn't mean that Jesus cleanses us from all sin because we wouldn't need cleansing from all sin because we wouldn't be sinning, we'd be in the light. So we need to understand what does spiritual darkness mean? What is this idea of living in spiritual darkness? And then in these next couple of verses on your outline, verse 8 and 10, See if you can nail what John is talking about from context here. So these are the context clues. He's telling us what spiritual darkness is all about, and then he, he uses the same phrase in both these verses. If we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. If we claim we have not sinned, we are calling God a liar and showing that his word has no place in our hearts. So what, what was the repeated phrase in both of those? Claiming to 
Okay, all right. First service was a little more awake than you guys are, but that's all right. That's all right. You're with me. If we claim we have no sin, if we claim we haven't sinned. So, so in this context, what John is saying is this, that there's this inner deception or denial that can happen when we claim we don't sin or I'm arguing that we, we claim our sin's not that big of a deal. So I just want to be honest with you. I've been in ministry for 28 years, and I really, I cannot think of a single time when I've ever had a conversation with somebody, and they claimed they had no sin. I mean, think about that. Have you ever had that conversation with someone? Uh, somebody comes to you, oh, you might be a sinner, and Jesus might have died for you, but I have no sin, you know? Like, it just, that it never happened to me. Uh, it, people have tried to convince me that they're, they're better than me, that they're less of a sinner than me, which I'm like, hey, dude, uh, you got to set your sights a little higher, you know, like that's, that's no mastery right there. But here's what we do. So I, so I don't think it's common for us in our, in our context today to claim we have no sin. I think what's common is that we claim our sin's not that big of a deal. That we just sort of diminutize it or, or, we, or we might even say a phrase like, that's just the way I am. Have you, have you heard that phrase? As if like, oh, that sinful thing, that's just my personality, you know? Like, it, and, and, and where it shows up often is in marriage. So, uh, so, you know, you might want to think about like one thing in, in, in uh, let's say, spouses having uh, a disagreement or something, and, and one person says, like, like, I don't know why she gets so upset. All I said was this, you know, and, and she flies off the handle. And it's just a way of like making sort of that sin that you just assaulted her with so small. But then she flies off the handle, so you make it so big, her, her sin so big. Are you with me? And it's just this, it's a reality. Think about any fight you've ever had with anyone else, a verbal argument you've ever had. And in the context of having an argument with someone, what happens underneath the surface is you make yourself into the innocent. You make yourself into the one who's totally righteous and right in your perspective. And what do you do to the other person? You vilify them, right? You demonize them. You, you, you maximize their sinful thought or, or perspective, and you minimize yours. And, and you might even think about it in a work context. In a work context, it's not just that you view yourself through the eyes of grace. You might just view yourself through the eyes of, like, I'm golden, and I am the one to come and make things awesome here. And, and you know what? If I mess up, which I do from time to time, my coworkers should have grace for me because I'm awesome. But... But, you know, if they mess up, then, then I'm just going to run them down. I'm going to crucify them, right? And, and so, so if you want a definition of what living in the darkness looks like, you might want to write this down. It's denying or downplaying your sin and culpability and upplaying everyone else's. I don't know if upplaying is a word, but if it is, I trademark Mike Howerton, upplaying everyone else's, downplaying or minimizing your own. And walking in the dark, it, we actually have a, I found a video that I think you might like. Walking in, in the dark is a little bit like this video. So go ahead and roll this. It's like this kid eating a lollipop and he's saying, I'm not sleepy at all. I'm, I'm in control. I'm just, I'm hanging out eating my, my lollipop. And, and you know, you're, you're not calling it what it is, right? <laughs> you're not golden. You're asleep with your tongue hanging out of your mouth. You know? 
You know, just be honest and take a nap and then you'll be golden and you'll be able to eat your lollipop. And, and so I, I just want you to understand what, God's, or what uh, John's saying here, what God's saying through John. He's saying, look, you want to be living in the light because God is light. That's how you have fellowship with him. And then you'll have good fellowship with God, with Jesus. You'll have good fellowship with one another. Your relationships will flourish. And so often as humans, what we think of when we think of the light is it exposes. And so we don't want to do that to ourselves. We don't want to expose ourselves, but we'll use it to expose the sin in another person, right? We, we, you know, you've heard that phrase, if you can't say something nice, if you can't say something nice, come sit by me. I want the dirt, you know, I want to hear all, all the dirt. And, and I, want to, I want to be really, really clear that John's not talking about using the light to expose or humiliate or shame other people. What he's arguing for is we ourselves to step into the light with Jesus so we can experience his healing and his forgiveness. And that's what makes this chapter one of the most profoundly hopeful and encouraging chapters there is. Because, by the way, you just need to know this. By you stepping into the light, you're the one to benefit. This is so often true when it comes to the commands of Scripture that as we step into the, the illuminating light of Jesus Christ, we are the ones to benefit. Amen. The story happened just this week. We had some guests from out of town staying at our house, and so I got up early, and I went downstairs to make myself a cup of coffee, but I didn't want to wake anyone up that was downstairs, so I didn't turn on lights in my kitchen. I'm barefoot and PJ'd, going over to make myself a cup of coffee. And the night, or the, yeah, the night before, we had broken a, a dish, one of those white glasses, and, and so we thought we cleaned everything up, but there was, there was a, a little shard that had been uh, overlooked, and, and it was about the size of your fingernail, and it was standing proudly right by the coffee maker. And, and so as I came down, I impaled myself on that shard. I, I buried it up in the ball of my foot. And, and so the, the pre-dawn quiet was shattered <laughs> by the yelping protest of a wounded mammal. And I... I just want you to understand that if I would have turned the light on... Do you see? I, I would have spared myself pain. This is so often the truth of Scripture, right? John's saying, no, you're the one to benefit when you step into the light. You're the one who gets to see things more clearly. You're the one who gets to receive cleansing and healing. And, and this is a universal truth. It's through Scripture, but it's just kind of one of those universe truths. In Proverbs 9, 12, it says this. If you become wise, you will be the one to benefit. If you scorn wisdom, you will be the one to suffer. Are you with me? It's kind of that universal principle that as we step into the light, then we ourselves are the beneficiaries of God's good truth over us. Does that make sense? So that's what John's arguing here. And John's saying, look, when we step into the light, we benefit by living into the light. And so don't pretend that we have no sin or don't downplay the sin in your life. Instead, recognize we need help with our sin problem because that's how we get in on God's solution for sin. So let's take a look at this. This is such a beautiful verse, 1 John 1, 9. And if you're looking for a verse to memorize, this is it. This is a beautiful, beautiful verse. John says, but if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
if we confess our sins, not pretend them away, not bury them, not downplay them, if we confess our sins to Jesus, he faithfully, steadfastly, consistently forgives our sins and cleanses us from wickedness and unrighteousness and selfishness and rudeness. And there's that word in the verse, it says he's faithful and just. It's an interesting word. He's faithful and just. You know, when I read it, it sounds like it's all grace toward us. So, I, so where does the just come in? Where's the justice? And it's just this, that the justice of God is revealed here with the penalty of sin being paid for by Jesus himself. Amen. That's justice being satisfied. Because look at the very next passage John writes in uh, chapter two. He says, he himself, Jesus himself, is the sacrifice that atones for our sins. Could you circle the word atones? That atones for our sins and not only our sins, but the sins of all the world. So atonement. Atonement is that theological concept that Jesus has fulfilled by offering himself as the sacrifice for sins he never committed. He offered himself as a sacrifice for my sins and for your sins and for the sins, the scripture here says, for the sins of all the world. And remember we talked about a couple weeks ago, the Bible, the ark of the Bible, the big story in the Bible is that God chose Israel to birth Messiah to save the world. And so that's what's, what's being revealed here in this, in this verse. Now, some cute preacher said once that, uh, actually, he was being cute. I didn't like see him and thought, oh, he's a cute preacher. Um, <laughs> some preacher once said that atonement means simply at one meant. You want to know what the theological concept for atonement is? It's at one meant. And, and it's interesting to think about, and I believe true, because what Jesus has accomplished is he has removed the separation that happens between us and God because of our sin. Jesus has taken it away. And now we are at one with the Father because of the loving work of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary and through the empty tomb. Amen. And then John says this in uh, chapter two, verse one. He says, my dear children, I'm writing this to you so that you will not sin. So not sinning, that's a good goal. Sinning more, never the goal. So we understand this. I'm writing to this to you so that you will not sin. But, he says, if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. How beautiful. How beautiful is this? He's, See, sinning more is never the goal, but what Jesus has done is he has taken away our fear. He's taken away our shame. He's taken away even our tendency to minimize our sin or diminish our sin or bury our sin or pretend it away. He doesn't want us walking in the dark. No, he wants us to be calling out our own sin because Jesus has taken care of the sin problem. Jesus has paid the penalty for sin. Jesus is the advocate by our side when we sin. Jesus is faithful to forgive us and to cleanse us of sin and of all unrighteousness. There's nothing we can't confess because there's nothing Jesus can't forgive. Amen? That is why we are so Jesus-focused at Overlake. That's why we are a Jesus-centric church. And, and, and it brings us to this last fill-in. And the last fill-in is simply this, that there is a pursuit to live for Jesus. There is a pursuit to live for Jesus and the, the series is about life with Jesus and life in Jesus and life for Jesus. And, 
And so I want you to understand that there is this theological conversation that we can have around assurance or justification and around pursuing obedience, which is sanctification, okay? And so I just want to be clear. John absolutely wants all of us to be pursuing obedience. And as your pastor, that's what I want for you as well. That's what I want for all of us because it's the lightest, it's the best, it's the most joyful way to live. It manifests the kingdom beautifully in the here and now. And it manifests the kingdom in our own lives as we pursue obedience for God's will for our lives, as we pursue the character of Jesus being formed within us. It's the most beautiful because it's the most loving and it's the most joy-filled and it's the most peaceful full and it's the most fruit of the spirit full way that we can live in this fallen world and and you are the primary person who benefits from living a life in pursuit of God's obedience so all that's true but friends that's not how we are saved that's not how we're saved Jesus is the one who saves us he's the one who justifies us that means just as if we'd never sinned And it's why you and I can have a deep assurance of our salvation because our salvation is not dependent upon us. It never was. It is always dependent upon Jesus Christ. And when we trust in him, we receive the assurance of his salvation. Do you remember Romans 10, 9, the apostle Paul's writing, and he says, if we believe in our hearts, or if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And so if that's you, if you, if you believe that Jesus is Lord and, and you know that God raised him from the dead, that is the work of salvation now in your life. And it's a, just as if you've never sinned when the Father looks at you. He sees you through the clothing of the righteousness of Jesus Christ and we are at one with the Father because of the work of Jesus. So what I wanna do right now is to try to clarify things I want to show you a Venn diagram because we all know Venn diagrams bring people to Jesus. Okay, so here we go. Here's a Venn diagram. And I want you to see that on the one side, you've got the assurance, the justification side. And on the other side, you've got the obedience or the sanctification side. Now, if you only live from the justification assurance side of this diagram, you can potentially miss out on seeing the kingdom come in your context, seeing the kingdom be born in your own life. You miss out on the joy of progressive sanctification. That's what Jesus is inviting us into. So if you only live in the assurance side, you might stray toward licentiousness. You might, be, you might give yourself too much license when it comes to sin, and you miss out on the joy of being saved. But on the other side, if you live in this obedience sanctification side only, then what you might do is you might descend into a works-based salvation understanding. You might fall into legalism over here. You might actually miss out on the piece of assurance thinking that if you blow it, if you make a mistake, if you have a misstep, you'll be out and God will be angry at you and and the full penalty of, of your sin is now on your shoulders again. And so I just want you to understand both sides. There's there's a con to to living on both sides, but I want to say the sweet spot is right in the middle. It's right in the middle where you live out of a deep assurance that Jesus has justified you because the work of the cross and the empty tomb is completed in him, 
And you live from that place pursuing obedience and all of the sanctification that he has in mind for you. Does that make sense? It's right in that middle, that sweet spot that Jesus is calling us. So that's the goal. Seeking to live our lives for Jesus in every moment. And yet, we still sin. So here's what we do. We practice confession. You might want to write that down somewhere. We practice confession. What that means is identifying and agreeing with Jesus about our sin and then making amends for our sin as it impacts other people. Identify and agree with Jesus about our sin and then making amends as our sin impacts other people. Now there's a passage that John writes in his gospel that perfectly illustrates this diagram. It perfectly illustrates all we've been talking about here. And it's the passage right near the end where Jesus has gathered with his disciples. They're just about ready to celebrate the Passover. Jesus is just about ready to introduce communion to them. And you might remember what happens. Jesus takes a towel and puts it around his waist. And he gets down on his knees and he begins to wash the feet of his disciples. Do you remember this? And so he starts washing the feet of, of disciples in the first century. You know, they were wearing sandals. They were walking on dusty roads and... And so this was a matter of courtesy. It was a matter of cleansing. They were reclining at a table. This would have been made the whole room much more pleasant. And Jesus comes to Peter. And Peter says, no, Lord, you'll never wash my feet. And Jesus says, oh, oh, Peter, buddy. Oh, poor, poor Peter. He says, uh, Peter, listen, I, I need to wash your feet. This is how you belong to me. This is, this is important. You're going to see in a few minutes. And, and Peter says, oh, if, if that's the case, then don't just wash my feet. Well, I, I want the full spa treatment. Like, I want the mani-pedi. I want, like, the whole thing. Just, you know. And Jesus, you know, pats him on the head. Oh, Peter, you know. He says, he says Here, here's the point I want you to know. And I put it on your, on your notes here. Jesus says, a person who's bathed all over does not need to wash, except for the feet, to be entirely clean. Here's how it connects. If you have trusted in Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior, you are bathed all over. You are already washed, right? You are justified by the work of Jesus on the cross, and that means that to your heavenly Father, it's just as if you'd never sinned. Please be assured of your salvation. However... You walk a dusty road in a fallen world and your sandaled feet get dirty every day. So 1 John says, don't live in the dark about it. Confess these daily sins of the road and Jesus is faithful to forgive us and cleanse us. He is our advocate and he is still washing our feet every single day, okay? He is for us, which means we are free to live for him. And so when you do sin, friends, be completely honest about this with the Lord. Step into his light. Trust that Jesus is advocating for you in that moment. I, I love how Tim Keller puts this. He says this, here's the gospel. You're more sinful than you ever dared believe, and you're more loved than you ever dared so friends, there's no reason for you to hide sin. Instead, bring it into God's light 
so that he can cleanse you and heal you and lead you along his well-lit path. He loves you. He loves you. Why don't you bow your heads and close your eyes and let's pray. Jesus, when we think of that picture of you coming to us with a towel wrapped around your waist and washing the daily dirty sins of our lives in a fallen world, it is incredibly humbling to us. We are amazed that the word of life, that the Lord of the universe would come and and serve our needs, serve our hearts the way that you do, Jesus. And we just wanna say thank you. We love you. We're amazed by you. We do not pretend that we could be saved on our own strength, on our own merit, just by trying harder. And so we reject that kind of a gospel, that works-based thought. What we wanna do is trust fully in your work of the cross. Trust fully in your work of the empty tomb. We know that you're the one upon whom our salvation depends. And we just wanna say thank you. And right now, if there's anybody here who has never trusted Jesus to be their Lord and Savior, if there's somebody here who has, who has never said, I believe that Jesus is God in the flesh. I believe that Jesus has paid the penalty for sin on the cross. I believe that he rose again from the grave. If, if there's somebody here who has never said that but wants to say that right now, just with eyes closed and heads bowed, would you just raise your hand? I just want to acknowledge your decision today. Yeah, anybody? Yeah, I see. Yeah, I see that hand. God bless you. Yeah, is there anybody else? I see that hand there in the back. Yeah. Jesus, you know every heart here. You know all of the struggle, all the journey. You know the sort of sins that, that each one of us walk through and get, get dirtied with every day. And, and yet, Jesus, this as we bring it into your light, this does not prevent you from loving us. Instead, it creates a moment where you're advocating for us. You're arguing on our behalf that you are, you are trying to, to encourage us to be the very best selves that we can be. And so as we hold your hand and walk in your light, we ask you for the courage to stay on this journey. We pray it all in your precious and holy name, amen. Amen. Well, friends, God bless you. I want to have you grab this connection card out of your handout real quick. And in a moment, as we continue to worship Jesus, we're going to collect these cards along with any tithes or gifts or offering. And so you might take a moment, finish filling that card out if there's any updated information you have. If there's a prayer request you have, please put that on the back. We pray for these every week. And and then if you made a spiritual decision today, and I saw there are a few decisions that if you want to write that down, um, you'll also notice there's an opportunity here to just check. Hey, I'm going to be reading through 1 John, and, and we'll just follow up with you and encourage you in your faith journey. You can drop these cards in the buckets as they're passed. And then if this is your first time, we're really glad that you're here today starting a new series with us. And, and you might want to hold on to this card. And as you leave, stop by the Connection Center, and you could turn that card in. Uh, we'll give you a gift. It's just our way of saying thanks for being with us today. All right. Ushers, why don't you come and collect these cards and any gifts and and then uh, please watch this video. It's just one more way that, that we want to say to moms, we love you.
What an incredible response song to an incredible message, incredible passage. God is stirring in our hearts. And I just want to encourage you, if you made a spiritual decision, if you're wrestling with a decision or a need in your life, I want to encourage you to go up here on the second floor. We have incredible people who will pray with you and listen to you and talk to you. But I, I, I hope that song holds onto our heart all week long. Over here, some of us could see a little five-year-old friend was dancing around freely during that song. And I thought, oh, Jesus, let my heart be that little five-year-old inside that I'm free before you receiving the words and the message that you have for me. So that may, may that be that for us. Today is just a great day to be together on Mother's Day. Besides the cinnamon rolls, I ate four. Anybody match me? Oh, hope the church pays for my gym membership. Um, we also have, <laughs> we also have these uh, what I thought were bookmarks, but actually they're great little pieces of paper with seeds implanted in them, and you can plant them and watch some flowers grow. And speaking of Mother's Day, you know what a great Mother's Day gift would be? Send her out on a short-term mission trip. So please stop in the hallway, check out the trips we have available for her. We'll throw in a Manny, Manny Petty on the way out of the country. And yeah, so anyways, check it out. Even if you're not a mom, you want to check it out, please feel free to do that. And as we end our time this morning, I um, want to just speak these words of blessing over us, um, words from Jesus, from his word to us. So I just want to encourage you to maybe put yourself in a posture of receiving these words. And here's what Jesus says to us. Step into my light. My light is love. My light is truth. My light reveals your desperate need for me. Embrace this reality. You need me, your savior, your healer, your friend. Let your need be the constant reminder of my power and my grace. Receive it and embrace it. Amen. Have a great afternoon. Hug a mom on your way out. Before I spoke a word, you were singing all.